I have something to show everybody really quick. So yesterday, Aaron Zimmerman invited me to go fishing with a bunch of like gruffy outdoor construction hunter <laughs> guys that aren't like me, okay? Ew, okay? Um, <laughs> and uh, all these guys, These guys all have expensive, like, fishing gear and tackle and these really big reels that probably cost more than my guitar. And I got four kitty poles from Amazon, <laughs> a four-pack special, using a cheap crappie jig <laughs> that's like seven cents. Just hold on. I got it. You know, because people can tell fishing stories. I'm about to show the proof. <laughs> Just wait for it, okay? It's worth the suspense. Look at that beast. <laughs> and everyone looked at me in utter disbelief. All the outdoors guys are like, that guy, he wore Chuck Taylors. He was wearing Chucks to fish in. They all got their car hearts and their, you know, construction pants. And I got these goofy four poles, my boys, just making sure no one falls in. And I just got that lucky cast. So. And no, I didn't go into Photoshop and magnify the fish. It is really that big. The pole is so cheap. The drag on the reel, I could barely reel it in because it's so cheap. I'm like, <laughs> praise God, I caught it right by the dock or I would have gone after it. I would have had to jump in. Um, sorry, it's just really funny to me. Here's what's so cool about that. So I... I'm seeing this guy, I've seen him twice now, this amazing spirit-filled uh, uh, therapist, counselor. He's an amazing guy. It's, hears from the Holy Spirit. So he's the best of all of it, the science, the psychology, the brain, the mind, the body. But he's spirit-filled, so he's always like, okay, God, what are you doing? What are you saying? And we had this amazing session. He's walking me through this journey of wholeness and, and conquering anxiety and all these things. And we get to the end of the session. It's super powerful, deep amazing. And he, he's getting to know me and he knows that I value that God speaks to us prophetically. He'll give us a picture, a passage, a prompting. That's what I teach my kids around the table for prayer and prophecy. A picture, a passage, a prompting. This is what the Lord does because we're his sheep. We know his voice. We're his kids. We know our father. And he's like, it's so funny, Chad. This is before this. He goes, as soon as you walked in, since I know you value the prophetic spirit, I saw you in this, you were like up to your shins in this little lake or pond, and you were fishing with your hands. And he said, I had to ask the Lord. This is right when I walked in. So 50 minutes after the session, he's like, it was weird. As soon as you walked in, I saw you fishing. But you were fishing with your hands, and I'm like, Lord, what's up? What's up with this little picture you're showing me for, for Chad? And then he's like, um, then the Lord's like, he's not in a regular pond. He's, in a, he's at a fish farm. And the Holy Spirit is saying, he's showing my, my, 
the therapist, he's like, Chad, the Lord is going to use what you've walked through to catch fish and to bring deliverance and healing to their anxiety, to their heart, to their minds. And I was like, it's amazing. It was so cool. He's like, I just see it being easy. That's why I was fishing with my hands because they're everywhere. And so, so I go home and I, well, first of all, I said, man, thank you, brother. That was a, I received that. You didn't know this, but the moniker for my family that we say weekly Sometimes we forget. What is the Bohai family all about? We follow Jesus, fish for people as a family. You've heard me say that from the pulpit. We follow Jesus, fish for people as a family. So while I'm in the meeting of, the, of, this, of my counseling session, Reese, who usually is here every single week, he's not here today, or I would have given him a shout out. He texts me in real time. I'm in the meeting, so I see my phone go off. Um, he texts me what I was quoting that morning on my back porch. He's like, I see it, brother. It's springtime. The wells are opening up. Here comes refreshment. You know, he just starts speaking what I spent extensive time reflecting on that morning. He didn't know that. And then I tell my counselor, I'm going fishing this weekend and I don't fish. And then I'm the only one that caught a fish of 30 people on a dock. So you can say coincidence, 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 coincidence. Or you can say God knows how to locate us. Do you believe that? He knows how to locate you. You may not have had a counselor give you a prophetic picture. But if you'll listen, God is talking to you all the time. He's whispering, he's prodding, he's poking, he's imparting his heart, he's giving his thoughts. And honestly, that's what, that is how I want our church to operate. I want it to be normal for us before the gathering, during the gathering, and after the gathering to be able to be that kind of instrument for each other. It's as simple as this. Say the service is over and you say in your spirit, Father, who do you want me to encourage today? And just look around. This isn't, it's mysterious in the sense of it's, it's amazing that we hear God. But it's not mysterious in the sense he wants to use the whole body to build the body up in love. So what if it was just normal, Holy Spirit or Father, who do you want to encourage today? And you look around and God gives you a picture, a passage, or prompting for someone and we began to minister God's loving heart to one another. How many believe it would be hard to keep people away from the door? Because everyone needs encouragement. If you agree, say amen. Everyone wants to be seen, heard, known, valued, cherished, and loved. And I just got to be the recipient of that this week. And it was just very special. So can I take the fish off? I'm just going to leave it there, okay? <laughs> my favorite part was... Um, I passed the fish off to Aaron, and then Aaron could take a selfie with his kids like he was the one that caught that fish. <laughs> and so, just, anyway, well, we are, does anyone know it's Pastor Andrew's favorite Sunday? It is Palm Sunday. Usually he does it with a joke and puts his palm on your face. So just put your palm on your neighbor's face, say Palm Sunday. It's Palm Sunday. So open your Bibles to John chapter 12.
John chapter 12. The backdrop of our text this morning. Oh, and, and, and shameless plug, um, please go on our Facebook and YouTube, and I'll upload it to our podcast. I'm finishing the book of Colossians online because I'm going to finish what I start. So I, teach, I did two teachings last week, and I released one. I'm going to teach every line of that book because I said we would, but you have to watch it online or listen to it on podcast. So, ha, but I did what I said. It's just, you guys love me. So there you go. So Jesus has raised Lazarus, Lazarus, from, Lazarus from the dead. Kind of a big deal. That's the backdrop. He, um, the pressure is mounting. The collision between Jesus and the power structures that be are increasing. And the events that we're going to read about today really catapult us into what has been known for centuries and centuries as Holy Week. That, w- that week we walk with Jesus from the triumphal entry through the upper room to the garden to the breaking of bread and the passing of the cup to the crucifixion to the silence of Saturday and then resurrection Sunday. So this kicks off that week starting with verse 12. Oh, and by the way, my favorite story almost in the whole Bible starts John 12 where Jesus is anointed by Mary She wastes this lavish offering on Jesus, a waste to Judas, who is hungry for money. But Jesus said, leave her alone in verse 7. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. And he he says in another gospel that wherever the gospel is preached, this story is going to be told of a woman who saved her most costly, precious thing and used it to prepare me for the hour of my great suffering and the revelation of my glory on the cross. So that's the context. The anointing precedes the enthronement. The anointing precedes the unfolding of Holy Week. Verse 12, the next day, The great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was there, now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. This is the word of the Lord. Can you say thanks be to God? 
One of the things I love that the gospel writers do, or whoever formatted our Bibles, so not necessarily the writers, but the publishers, I love when they indent the text. In your, pa- in your Bible, you see how the blessed is he who comes is indented. Say yes if you see that. Hosanna. Because they're letting us know that in this epic moment where the king comes to the city of the kings, city of Jerusalem, they're letting us know that the language that the crowds are borrowing from come from Israel's history, from the scriptures. I had so much fun looking up. It specifically comes from Psalm 118, so we're going to go there in a minute. They're crying out. They believe this is our guy. Throughout John, Jesus has been revealing signs that reveal his glory. He turned, what was his first miracle in John? Water to wine. Amen. Nicodemus, you've got to be born again to see the kingdom. The woman at the well in John 4, a whole town that comes to faith. End of John 4, Jairus takes him at his word and his child is healed. Amen. John 5, the the, 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 the lame man at the, at the, by the waters, get up, take up your mat and walk. John 6, he feeds the, the masses. John 7, he's, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. John 8, the woman in adultery has caught. I don't condemn you. Leave your life of sin. I'm the light of the world. John 9, the blind boy who everyone thought it was his fault, that he was a sinner, that he was sick. But Jesus said this was a divine setup so that the glory of God would be seen. John 10, I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life for my sheep. John 11, Lazarus, you're already stinky. It's four days. Day four, decomposition starts setting into the body. But I'm going to disrupt decomposition with the power of resurrection life. Come forth and take off his grave clothes. So all throughout John's gospel, Jesus has been revealing his glory. Revealing his glory. And here's this moment where the king comes to the place where kings are crowned. It's to say it's a tinderbox ready to explode is an understatement. Because those who have power know they don't have the mojo that King Jesus is walking in. They're not able to forgive sin. They're not able to heal the sick. They're certainly not able to raise the dead. So, for all intents and purposes, they view Jesus' coming as a collision. He's calling their bluff and their rightful claim over the temple and over the people. And the crowds are saying, Hosanna, save us. Now for them, they think their greatest enemy is Rome, but Jesus knows that the greatest enemy of humanity has always been our sin. Can you say amen? It doesn't matter the variety of empire that you're under, you're under a greater enemy called slavery to sin. This is what he says in John chapter eight. You're either a slave of God, which leads to life and freedom, or you're a slave of the father of lives called the devil, which leads to death and destruction. So the crowd has it right. Hosanna, save us. They think just a few centuries earlier, about, ah, about a, I don't know math, especially when it goes from 80 to beast. A hundred-ish or so years earlier, this guy called Judah Maccabee comes, Judah the hammer comes, and he cleanses the temple just like they think Jesus is going to do. He he literally destroys through violence and kills all the oppressors, the occupiers, the nations, those who desecrated the temple. They think, here comes another Judah. Here comes another 
hammer. Hosanna, save us. They think the saving they need is just from outward oppression. And beloved, is there anything that we see in our nation right now? We have tried to diagnose what we need to be freed from until someone will stand up and say, no, the greater freedom we need is the liberty of a heart set free through the gospel of Jesus. There's a thousand varieties of, thing, of manifestations of that which ails us truly, which is a heart of sin and need of repentance and need of renewal. We're all saying Hosanna, and we all have a version or a vision of what we need saving from and who's going to do the saving. But Jesus knows that the only way to save us from that which truly ails us is if he goes not just not just like every other king before him to overthrow the power structures. He has another destination because he's always more interested in root causes, not just symptoms. Can you say amen? And so I love this. If you go to Psalm 118, which is what they're quoting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Look at Psalm 118. I'm just going to draw out a few verses. Psalm 118, verse 8, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All the nations surround me, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. So as they're quoting Psalm 118, they think, here comes our king. He's going to cut all of our enemies down. Can you see it? All the crowds, they're stoked. This is why Peter's like, you're not going to die. You're not that kind of king. We have a vision and a version of the saving we need of the enemy that we think is our greatest threat to being the people of God. But Jesus is like, you don't know anything. You, it's, you don't see it yet. Look what else it says in Psalm 118. They surround me, my enemies, on every side, but in the name of the Lord I cut them down. Shouts of victory resound in the tents of the righteous. Okay, look at this. Verse 22 of Psalm 118. Again, this is what they're quoting that day when Jesus rolls into Jerusalem. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it's marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it. Say it. The Lord has done it. This very day, let us rejoice today and be glad. And here's what they quote. So what's right before Hosanna? The rejection of the stone. What's right before the rejection of the stone? That guttural cry. You're going to cut down our enemies. You, see, you have to see the imagination of the people. This is our guy. We know our enemy. And Jesus is like, in an unbelievable turn of events, I'm actually going to accomplish something you never thought I came to accomplish, but I'm actually going to fulfill the deeper desire behind your deep desire for deliverance by actually delivering you from sin and the power of Satan himself. Through the cross. He's so amazing. I love Jesus. Because then look at verse 25. Lord, save us. Hosanna. Psalm 118. Lord, grant us success. And then here's what he quotes. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. And then remember the palm branches. The Lord is God. He has made his light shine on us with bows in hand. Join the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. I will praise you, O Lord. So again, the king's coming. Everyone thinks, here's how he's going to do it. And here's, here's the enemies he's going to vanquish. And Jesus rides the humble steed, the donkey. He comes in peace. 
not the cruddy version our generation offers. Just let me be me, you be you. It's a peace that is weighty and thick, that doesn't overlook the wrongdoing of the other, but absolves it and provides the remedy for its healing. Oh, and this is when he quotes Zechariah 9.9. Look at that verse. Don't tell me that's not steeped in prophetic longing. Go to Zechariah 9.9. Because he goes on to say, a young donkey sits on it. Again, just read your Bible. That's why it's indented. Anytime you see an indentation, this is a, a life hack, Bible hack. Go back and read it. Can you say amen? But where's Zachariah? Oh, God. Hold on. I didn't have that one bookmarked. Yes, I've gotten lazy with my digital Bible. Thank you for those who laugh. It's a real problem. Look at what they, look at what, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming on a donkey's colt. That's what's quoted in John 12, but look what it says. Zechariah 9, 9, rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Verse 16, the Lord their God will save his people on that day as a shepherd saves his flock. What did Jesus just say in John 10? I am the good shepherd who lays down my life. Oh, you can't make it up. How attractive and beautiful they will be, the people that he saves. So we see Holy Week is kicked off by this triumphal entry. Everyone in the crowd, the power brokers, they think they, think they know how the week is going to unfold. But how many know God is the God of surprise twists and turns? He's evil. Here's what's amazing about God. If you read, because Pentecost is after Easter. I love Pentecost. God is even able to bake into his redemptive plan, banking on the rebellion and sin of humans to accomplish his eternal purposes. So those of you who look at our culture right now and think we're beyond saving, We serve a God who specializes in the beyond saving. There is no hope. There is no help. We might as well just hold on and try to make it to glory. We serve a God who's able to weave themes and stories and sin and difficulty and turn it all, like we just sang, for the good of the righteous so that when the righteous reign, the city will begin to rejoice. How many believe that? That's the season we're in. God taking what looks impossible and certainly improbable like a king riding a donkey. And he's actually able to accomplish the purposes of God. So see your king comes. And I love verse 16. I love when John, John does this a lot in the gospel. I think at least three times. Verse 16. At first, the disciples did not understand all of this. Can you say amen for that verse? How many have ever been that person, that disciple? At first, the disciples... In the 21st century, didn't understand how the Lord was going to do this. Come on, someone say amen. Let's be honest. I love that that's in the Bible. Here comes the king, Hosanna, just like David. Where's his sword? He's on a donkey. His whole life, his whole ministry, he's hanging out with all the wrong people, healing on all the wrong days, claiming that he is the temple. This temple that Herod retrofitted for his own glory took 47 years he said in John 2 he was going to raise the temple up in three days at first the disciples didn't understand all of this 
Friends, one of the greatest things the church must pursue is to understand what the Lord is up to and to join him with all that we have. And he actually wants to give understanding in this great hour of chaos and hostility. He wants a people who aren't frantic and anxious, but confident because he wants to speak to us and reveal the mysteries of the hour in which we live so we can stand and become that city set up on a hill. And when they see the light emanating, when they taste the saltiness and peculiarity of a life lived under the lordship of Jesus, they will see our good deeds and praise the Father on the day he visits us. Come on. So, Chad, I don't have understanding. I don't know how he's going to turn this around in my family. I don't know how he's going to turn this around in my city. I don't know how he's going to turn it around for my kids and their kids. Guess what you do when you don't understand? You posture your life under the one who has all understanding and say, Holy Spirit, show me, teach me. You open the word that is our, the counsel of God. And you say, Lord, don't just put this in my head. Write it in my heart so I live with confident expectation of what you are up to in my generation. At first, the disciples didn't understand it. But come on, only after Jesus was glorified did they realize all of these things had to be written about him. These things that had to be done to him. The king has come, and just like his generation, except for a remnant, missed what he was up to, beloved, the king is on the move in our time. Let us not miss what he is doing, but say, Jesus, show us what you're doing. We want to be a part of the crowd that doesn't just shout Hosanna. Save us. But those who are willing to follow you all the way to the cross. And in that cross, we're raised up to actually live the life that our whole world is longing to see manifest. The Bible literally says in Romans 8 that all creation is groaning for sons and daughters to rise up and to actually begin to live out their redemptive reality in the glory of Christ, a heart set on fire in the love of God through the gospel, where there's actually an alternative we can offer. How many believe we're just looking, the Argen we're... There's just 10,000 offerings, but none of them are the thing if they're not flowing from the one who is life itself, the king of the everlasting kingdom. So here's what I want to end the land the plane with. I love when they're quoting Psalm 8118, in the rejection or the mistaking thinking, they misdiagnosed their problem they didn't mis misdiagnose the symptom. Let me hear this. Oh, that was good. This is happening right now. This is good. They were accurate to think Rome is a problem in the first century. Can you say amen? They were, they were accurate in diagnosing a symptom. Okay? They were inaccurate in diagnosing their truest, deepest need. Many of us can think, man, the family's falling apart. There's an attack on family, and there is. There's an assault on family, on the next generation, on our kids. There's a... An overall victimization that a culture's like the normal operating system. We can symptom, 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 symptom. And we can be accurate in those symptoms of the great need of our time. But Jesus is always wanting to take us deeper than symptoms. Amen. And what's amazing, the thing he actually wants to produce in this hour that serves as an inoculation, is that the right scientific term? That serves as a 
I don't want to go too far down medical language because I don't know it. I don't know that world. He wants people to arise in this time who are a living alternative to what other people are living and how they experience life. That means part of his strategy to undo the works of darkness is for you to have a solid family. Husbands, for you not to cheat on your wives, but to be a good husband. Doesn't he want something more dramatic, like, like activism? And like, he wants your home to function as a spiritual house. He wants your family to be like a priesthood where Christ is reigning. It's that simple. It's what's amazing. Okay, I don't, have t- I don't have time. There's like a whole long note called the dwell on the land plan, but I'll preach that word sometime. It's so good. After he brings them into promised land, this is Old Testament language, and they, they cross over the, the, the Red Sea, does all the deliverances. This is God. By the way, this is Passover, so it's meant to be the same kind of thing in our mind. John 12 is the New Testament version of God's greater exodus. They're not crossing a sea now. They're crushing the serpent. Oh, that was good. So what's unbelievable, though, God will do all the work. You need to only stand and see the victory of God. He'll do all the work. He feeds them manna, water from rocks. How many are thankful? God is the heavy lifter in salvation. But look what he gives them as a strategy to live in the land of promise that he will give them as a sheer gift. It's called the Shema. Talk about my law around your dinner tables. You, I, I, when God showed me this, I want to preach the whole thing. I don't have time, but I'm going to bring you into a place, to vineyards you didn't plant, to walls you didn't build. I'm, this is the gospel. How many are thankful for the gospel? I'm going to save you by no merit of your own. I'm going to rescue you from sin. I'm going to heal you of your sickness. I'm going to raise you up and give you a new life, and I'm going to do it all as a sheer gift. But you want to know how to stay in that place of blessing? Read Deuteronomy 6. Here, here, I'll just read this part, okay? The Lord our God is one. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Verse 6 and 7. These commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. God baked the whole plan on individual homes living a God-saturated life. And if the home broke down, eventually it would mean a breakdown on every single other power structure in the priesthood, with the prophets, and with kings. Are you tracking with me? So the deliverance, he'll do all the delivering. So I'm trying to give strategy for how do we live as an alternative community under a different kind of king of the only kingdom that's actually going to endure. I guess I should have just probably preached it. I didn't know how long it would take. But we do this in the most basic mundane ways is what I'm trying to say. Pursuing Jesus in your heart and in your home These become, that's why I did it. Thank you. So remember Psalm 118. Track me, track me, track me. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Right before that chunk, I already read it. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So Peter picks up on this. Just please stay with me. I'm right there. We're right there. This is all happening on the triumphal entry. Jesus is coming to Jerusalem, not to amend the current temple, but to build a new temple. 
a new people. Say amen. Okay, so that's, so he's quoting Psalm 118, and part of Psalm 118 is that there's going to be a stone that's very significant, a cornerstone that the whole building takes its plumb, its width, its height, its direction from. Peter picks up on that in 1 Peter 2, 4, where he says, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then he quotes Psalm 118 again. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. Now, to you who believe, the stone is precious. Because he's the one who sets the term of your whole life. The stone, Jesus. So when they're quoting Psalm 118, they think he's just going to cleanse the temple and carry on and be the king that they hoped he would be. He's like, no, I'm actually coming in the rejection, this stone, my, the cornerstone, you're going to reject me, but in that rejection, i got to go low because I need to become a cornerstone that's actually going to be able to stand throughout all the ages for all life. So in his rejection and the misunderstanding, remember John 12, only after this do they understand these things. Jesus is coming not to amend the temple, but to build a new one, a, a new covenant temple, people. Of the, are you tracking with me? In the same way. So he's a living stone of a new temple. This is Psalm 118. This is John 12. This is what's happening. They're going to reject the king, but in that rejection, he's actually going to fulfill his vocation. Because Jesus goes on to say in John 12, the very next paragraph, I'm not going to go into it, unless a kernel of wheat or a seed falls and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Look what Jesus is doing, and he's doing so much more, but we're out of time. He's not coming to amend. He's coming to overthrow and establish the eternal realities of God's heart, a temple people. Look at this. He's not coming to hold on to his seed and to destroy their outward enemies that they think are their biggest threat. He's coming to lay the seed of his life down because out of that death, he's going to raise up a new humanity. Everyone say new temple and a new humanity. Both are happening in this scene. Jesus is prophetically living with a vocation on the inside of him. I'm coming to bring God's new temple reality, the spirit dwelling in God's people, and I'm going to make a new humanity. The thing that really ails them is that Mark 7, 20 through 23, the heart. Out of the heart comes lust, violence, hatred, greed, sexual immorality. These are what make a person unclean. Jesus' seed is going to hit the ground. And from that seed, 1 Peter 1, 23, you and I can be born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. Born not after the will of a husband, but born of God. Those who receive Jesus become a new temple, the dwelling place of the Spirit, and a new humanity, destined to reign and rule and to live forever with King Jesus. This is what's happening on Palm Sunday. The king has come, but this king is going to lay down his life because of love and obedience. The Savior of the world has come, and contrary to what we'll see throughout Holy Week on the cross, if he's really the Messiah, come down, save yourself, and then we'll believe. They don't understand. They're blind. In the laying down of his life, he's actually saving us from our greatest enemy, from sin, and a life spent apart from God for eternity. The king rolls up. The king rolls up. It's pregnant. It's hostile. But he's not 
shifting or amending his plan based on what he's hearing from the crowds. In the next story, the Greeks come to Philip and then to Andrew and then to Jesus. They want to see Jesus, and Jesus says, It's time. Father, that Revelation 13, 8 plan, the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the earth, it's go time. Let's accomplish our mission. And only here, Jesus never, he never asked to be glorified. I love him so much. (laughs) The only time he says, Father, glorify your son. The only time he asked for that glorification is is on the cross. (laughs) At the crystallization of my most perfect obedience in that place, Father, glorify me so that forever they'll realize there was no length to which I wasn't willing to go to save the whole of humanity, to bring God's new creation, to bring God's new temple, to establish God's everlasting kingdom on the earth as it is in heaven. And the only way I'm going to accomplish that is not by morphing, bending, or bowing to what everyone else wants me to be, but God to fulfill my vocation of suffering love, pouring out my life unto death, letting my single seed hit the ground so that from it, a new creation, a new temple people will be raised up. This is the gospel. This is the glory of the entry into a whole week reflecting on the unfolding of God's redemptive plan. How many are excited for Holy Week to walk the path with Jesus? We all need a Jesus who will cut evil off at the source and not just deal with our symptoms. I love that Jesus said in the very next passage, now the prince of this world will be driven out. But not like you think it. I, John 12, 31 and 2, when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. Verse 33, he said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. Jesus knows this when he enters in. So if you hear any theology, it took him by surprise. He didn't understand it. All got away from him. No, this is the plan of Jesus as he himself embraces his suffering servant vocation to be Israel's Messiah and the Lord of all creation. So how do I respond? Well, first of all, have you taken serious that Jesus doesn't want to amend your life, he wants to give you a brand new one? Have you taken it serious that you're not meant to live just a Sunday to Sunday reality, he wants to make you his temple? Have you taken serious that you're not meant to just deal with the bad habits and symptoms of your life, he wants to make you a new human in his grace? And because of his love, have you taken serious that the king is inviting us to participate in his kingdom business? And one of the primary ways we do that, it sounds so unflashy. I could throw a bunch of Bible verses at you. Is to stand up and to be the people of God in this hour by doing good work. Amen? Doing good work in your workplace, in your world. Being... Building a solid family. Caring about solid friendships. These simple things in the grace of God are the billboard that there's another way to be human oriented around Jesus at the center. Amen? It's these simple, really hard, not very Instagram story worthy things that Jesus wants to make us a living 
demonstrable reality in his love. And I just want to spend 30 seconds. If you're by a friend, if you're not by a friend, then maybe ask somebody. I just want to pray God's blessing and God's saving presence to touch us in our homes or in our friendships or our workplace and world. So let's just do that for 30 seconds together. Just say, Lord, let Hosanna be the reality of my week this week. Would your saving, healing presence touch us? If you're with a friend, don't be shy. If you're with a stranger, tell them your name and just say, Lord, let Hosanna be our reality this week in our workplace. God, come to save. God, come to heal. God, bring your blessing and bring your peace. I love it, guys. This is God's doing stuff when we pray together. We just declare that over our, over our homes, over our hearts, over our workplaces, over our region, over the nation, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. See your comes riding, your king comes riding lowly and humble on a donkey. And he's coming to bring justice and peace. Jesus, we welcome and we long for your reign and rule to be a functional reality this week. So be at the center be the head, be the Lord, be the king in the small stuff and the big stuff so that when people look at us, they see you operating in your grace and by your spirit. In Jesus' name, we all said amen and amen.